Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast, maybe. Um, probably going to be changing that here pretty soon. And the reason for that is that Arena is not really where we've been focusing. And also, Brian is gone. Uh, greener pastures, I hope for him. And get to introduce my new co-host today. And I said last week that this is someone that probably a lot of people have maybe never heard of before. And if that's not true, I'll be pleasantly surprised. But uh, my co-host is none other than Dave Shields. Hello, Dave. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm alive. And I'm, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. I'm excited to start a new chapter. And a little nervous, I guess. Uh, I would echo the nervousness, right? I'm uh, still trying to figure out what exactly I signed myself up for and got myself into here. But um, uh, yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, we'll we'll figure that out, I guess. Um, so I know that you listened to the previous iteration of the podcast with Brian. Uh, as I, again, mentioned last week, you've been playing a bunch of Magic as of late. And uh, I don't know, like what what was your perception of this like what what did you think that you were signing up for what are you worried about um well i'll tell you when you first reached out to me i thought it was like a joke um because i couldn't possibly imagine or fathom why you would want me to come and join you here um i've obviously been playing magic for a very long time and known you for a very long time um and i've never really actually created content or had any sort of public figure in the community or what have you um but um, it's always been something that's in the back of my mind, and I love and am interested in talking about magic always with anybody that will possibly listen, um, and I love a good argument and a good battle. Um, and yeah, so here I am, I guess. Well, hopefully not too many battles. We'll see. <laughs> it wouldn't you know? be fun without them. Well, I, I see, we kind of do the same thing a lot of the time. We both play really bad blue decks, I think. That is, that's kind of our go-to. That is fair. Maybe at a slightly different pace, but... Um, very similar decks. Yeah. So you you were telling me before the cast that you went back and listened to the first episode that Brian was on, which made me very curious because, like I mentioned, I'm I'm nervous now. I don't I don't get nervous, man. I just don't anymore. Um. So this is yeah, kind of weird for me, and it makes me wonder if if I seemed like that back then, or even just like how how Brian seemed. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't actually know Brian very well. Um, and obviously outside of listening to him on the podcast for the last, you know, six plus months where I've been a regular listener. Um, I'll tell you going back and listening to that first episode, you didn't seem nervous. And um, it seemed like just like a regular normal episode. Um, and frankly, it was a little bit intimidating how much Brian was able to just like hit the ground running. And I didn't really notice a difference between him and whatever 300 episodes later, um, his tone and attitude and demeanor seemed identical which is admirable yeah part of the reason that i signed him up was because i had been on podcast with him before and I, I knew that he could do it and you don't have the same you know sort of resume or whatever but just from having conversations with you i know that you are eloquent and can talk about things and are one of the people that i like talking about magic with so that and the fact that i just want to talk to you more like you are one of the people that i 
I feel like I didn't get to work with basically ever. Uh, but you know, in my mind, just like not enough. Like I, I would have liked to, I don't know, test for more events with people like you and Costa and and whatnot, and that just never got to happen. But you know, if I get to chain you up to this podcast once a week, I mean, it's fine with me. Yeah. And and I'll say that's probably the single most appealing part of all of this um, is being able to talk to about magic to you on a weekly basis, um, which is super exciting for me. Um, I'll say it's a little disappointing and depressing that like I get to I lose getting to listen to my favorite podcast every week. So I'm going to have to look elsewhere for content to consume while I'm commuting and driving in my car. But um, yeah, I'll figure that out, I guess. Think about how lucky Brian is, though, when he's going to not be listening to the podcast. Yeah, I am very jealous. I am very jealous. So uh, the the plan for this episode was basically to introduce you, get folks uh, to to get to know you a little bit better, maybe talk about some of our future plans and whatnot, and got some extra stuff, too, if we have time for it, but we'll see. So in the getting to know you phase of things, uh, I was doing some light Googling, uh, oh, bouncing God. around on a bunch of different websites, uh, just like searching your name on Goldfish and on MTG ELO Project and stuff like that, and trying to put together a little resume for you. This could be depressing or exciting. I'm not really sure where this is going to go. Your, it says your first PT was LA in 2005. Is that accurate? I believe that is accurate. It was such a long time ago, it's hard to remember. Um, I believe I was 17 years old and a senior in high school. Hard uh, to imagine that you played a pro tour before that, but maybe. Yeah. Okay. I actually, if I remember correctly, played three pro tours during my senior year of high school. I believe three in a row, uh, starting with LA, yeah. Okay. And how many how many GP top eights do you have? Do you know off the top of your head? Five is what I want to say. Awesome, because I have five. Great. All right, so we have, first of all, top four of GP Charlotte 2005 playing Gifts Rock in Extended. Might be my favorite deck of all time. Terrible. Also, I lost to your friend in that tournament. Yeah, Jono, who is probably the one to credit for that deck and existence. Um, but yeah, that deck was phenomenal, and I don't know if I had a bad matchup in that tournament. Well, Michael Crumb, apparently. Yeah, that's if 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 I had to make a list of tournaments that I felt like got away from me, that would be very high on that list. All right, uh, have you winning GP Dallas in 2011 with Cobblade? Yes, and that was um, I uh, historically with Magic have been on and off. I, I play for long stretches and then I take breaks, and usually during my breaks, just as life comes up, I still consume a lot of Magic content, but my playing is usually in bursts and. The Grand Prix Dallas was kind of my first uh, Grand Prix pro level event when I started playing Magic again and kicked off kind of a next, you know, five plus year stretch where I played a ton of Magic. So here's the fun fact that I found is that you went X04 in the Swiss. I did. I went undefeated in the tournament with four draws. No, no. You like that is technically true. And I know that technically correct is probably the best form of correct, right? But yeah. Come on, four draws, man. Yeah, yeah. So one, it's, one of them might have been intentional, if I had to guess. Yeah, I drew with Corey McDuffie in the last round, who uh, became a very good friend of mine and a uh, very memorable draw because it was a lock for him and a little bit close for me. Um, I was probably 80 or 90% to get in with a draw, but not a guarantee. Um, and yeah, I vividly remember that discussion and moment. And um, 
yeah, kicked off a, a what was a great friendship for a long time. But dude, so many draws. I know. Yeah. Gotta stop that. All right. Next up, second at GP Baltimore 2012 with Blue Black Control, losing to Matt Costa in the finals. Again, another tournament where Matt and I knew each other a little bit going into that event and had tested for the previous or a few pro tours ago before that um, and became one of my best friends after that. And I still wake up in the middle of the night thinking about that match. Um, one that got away from me for sure. Uh, so it, I... I Thought you got second, but I wasn't sure. And I couldn't find like, you know, certainly tournament coverage just doesn't exist. It's all been scrubbed or whatever. But uh, in order to figure out for sure who actually won, I had to click on the YouTube coverage and fast forwarded to the end, uh, which was like an hour and 40 minute long video, by the way. Neither <laughs> of you are are the fastest player. Um. And it looked like you were very dead at the end of it, but I'm sure a lot of stuff happened up to that point, which was like the getting away from you part of it. Yeah, I had a really good hand in game three and he didn't have a lot going on. And typically it was, I was playing blue black control against Delver. And um, typically you want to play that matchup very slow from my side. So I, he had nothing and I had everything. And you can see a few times where he probes me and I didn't see this in the moment, but if looking back on it, you can see the look on his face when he probes me, like he thinks he's dead. Uh, and if I just casted my spells quicker, I definitely would have won and in uh... retrospect that would have worked out great. Uh, and I eventually was not able to deploy all of my spells, uh, before he killed me. Um, yeah, so. the, the last turn was like you at three, him having, Maybe like a Snapcaster or Moreland Haunt and like a, a Geist with a Batter Skull on it. Yeah, he ripped a Vapor Snag uh, two turns before that. And if I was able to untap through that turn with my Bloodline Keeper, the, you know, vampires would have taken over, but. Okay, well now we have second at GP Montreal 2014 in a limited format. Yes, yes. My only limited top eight. I wouldn't describe myself as a limited expert or what have you. Constructed is definitely more my forte, but I enjoy limited a lot and play it probably more than I do constructed, especially when I'm not playing as much magic. Lost the finals of that one in a game three to Gerard Fabiano, uh, another good friend and another memorable match. Second is not fun, I'll say. Uh, not a not a not a position I'm looking forward to getting ever. Yeah, I. <laughs> I got second in a lot of opens before I started like winning things kind of regularly. So I, I know the feeling. Uh, yeah. The, the last GP top eight was in Providence 2016 with green, black delirium. Uh, a little, little off the beaten path for you. It seems like. Yeah. Another deck I really enjoyed. I, I think I typically enjoy grindier decks that can be a little bit more proactive. And that was a tournament where I was not playing a ton of magic at the time. And there had just been a pro tour where some of my friends did very well with the deck. And in that event, a lot of people were playing different vehicle decks that were just really easy matchups. So I remember that that was probably one of the easiest events. If I look back on it, I just had a lot of easy matches and a lot of easy rounds. And then I got absolutely destroyed by Seth Manfield in the top eight in a mirror match where I was severely outclassed. Word. Uh, also notable finish, 10th at PT Gay Crash 2013 with Jeskai Flash. I'm sure you have a lot to say about this one too. Yeah, it, yeah. And this is not one I feel like got away from me as much. Um, really? I definitely, I had a, t a match playing for top eight against Melissa. Um, 
I certainly didn't play very well in that match, uh, but uh, I don't actually have as many regrets about how I played it and what have you, and I'm not really sure exactly why. Um, but one of my more favorite memories of that event is that was also your first Pro Tour Top 8, and you were actually the primary feature match in the feature match area while I was playing against Melissa as the backup match. And I vividly remember looking over and realizing that you won while I'm sitting here playing for a Pro Tour Top 8 that would have meant so much to me. And I'm looking at you and feeling great that it looked like you won and Top 8 at that event. So good memory. Yeah, pretty pretty fortunate for me to play against like the Jund 3-3s deck against my like Restoration Angel Boros Reckoner deck while you got probably one of the hardest matchups in the tournament. Yeah, and it was still a very, very close game and one that had I played those last few turns a little bit tighter that um, I definitely could have won. Um, but again, I um, not a lot of time left in the round. Maybe I could have played a little bit quicker in some of the earlier games to give myself some more time to think. Yeah. But, uh, one it of the tough. things, it, it's hard. It's hard. I, I, I typically look at Magic and how I play the game as I can either play fast or I can play well. And I need to usually choose which of those two things to do. And I, I view time as a resource, and I, I, I know I have a slightly different approach or view to the game than the average person, but um, that's just the take I have on it. And when I play faster, I, I make more mistakes. My natural intuition is not quite as strong as the average pro-level player. I yelled at Michael Majors once. I called him a time thief because he also took a very long time. Um I, I think you and he are, are kind of of the same mind where it's like, well, I could make like a pretty good player. I could come up with the, with the best play, you know? And yeah. Yeah. My, my, my argument against that was like, I, I don't know. Cause he, he said like the same kind of stuff like, Oh, you know, t- time's a resource, whatever. And it's like, just cause you get 50 minutes like collectively between the two of you doesn't mean that you get to take like 35 of them or whatever. Like your opponent probably wants to you know get food go to the bathroom in between rounds or whatever and when you're just like forcing them into turns every time it's it's like kind of messed up you know yeah listen i don't disagree right and i i I do whatever i can to try to not take advantage or exploit the clock in that way in any shape and i I do love magic online where i get my clock and can use my fair share how i see fit yeah and the ability to like pause on a key turn especially earlier in a match uh, for three or five minutes and give it a solid think and make up that time over the next few turns is a, is a feature and a resource I really like that obviously you can't take advantage of in real life. Same. I would love that so much to just have a turn where it's like, just give me like three minutes, please. Yeah. Just yeah, don't don't interrupt me. Don't tell me to make a play. Don't call a judge. Like I'm just using my one time on this turn, you know, and I, I would like to think that in in most of like the earlier turns i'm doing things pretty quickly and like even i think like my mechanics are kind of fast as far as like you know shortcutting fetches and and doing things quickly like that but yeah so that that type of stuff like you know dexterity is something that i focused on a lot when i was competitive and playing you know on the on the pro tour and in more grand prix because making up for time with decisions like i said i always felt like came at a cost for myself so trying to play those early turns trying to sack my fetch lands and shortcut things as much as humanly possible is always something um, i tried really hard to do to try to gain more time to be able to use elsewhere great so we just need to find some some other like smaller ways to to get you a few extra seconds to recoup so you don't end up with four draws (laughs) granted that was over a decade ago i don't know maybe maybe things are better now maybe they're worse because you know 10 years, 12 years is a long time. I don't know that anybody gets faster as they get older. Yeah, probably, probably not. But, uh, so that's all I had for like the, 
the official circuit stuff, but I think the most important thing is you stopping Ross Merriam's back-to-back at SCG Province 2014. I remember. It was fun. Um, and I believe that kept you as the only back-to-back Star City winner ever. Correct. That's why it's the most important. Yep. And I think I got a dinner out of that from you at one point. So that worked out quite well. Uh, that, yeah. I don't I don't know if I, I want to say that sounds like something I would do. But yeah, probably. I, I think it's the least I could do, you know? And that was in a, in a very difficult matchup. I was playing Death and Taxes against Elves, which is one of the most nightmare matchups imaginable. Um and yeah, memorable and beating Ross is always fun. Another good friend, uh, Northeast grinder as well. And somebody I've played against in a lot of tournaments and every, t- every win you get against Ross is really enjoyable. <laughs> uh, I've, I've lost to Ross more often than I'm I've won. I'm pretty sure. But funny thing too, is like thinking about it. And then I actually went and checked at least for the stuff that's listed on Elo project. And I don't think that we've ever played. I, we played exactly one time and it was in a pro tour. It didn't show up. Yeah, there's a good reason for it. It was a team pro tour. Oh, that doesn't count. What do you mean it doesn't count? We played a legacy match in a pro tour oh. against each other. Oh, yeah. No, I do remember that. That was like kind of recent. That was 25A. Yes, it was PT25. I think we were in the 03 bracket and we got yeah, paired was, against each other. It was not good. So technically all the teams could play day two and ours was the only team that didn't make day two because we just didn't show up because we were 0-7 maybe, 0-6 with a buy i don't remember exactly what but we we did not do well yeah that was uh a tournament that was a lot of fun to prepare for a lot of fun to play the opportunity to play legacy at a pro tour level event was something that i was very much looking forward to and would very much love to do again at any point obviously something that's difficult to make happen but that was um i did beat you for whatever that's worth it was a close match and we were both playing four color control decks which i think makes it a little bit more fun um there's no way in hell I was playing four. I was probably playing Grixis. So I think we were playing Arkham's Astrolade at that point. So I don't know exactly how many colors were in the deck, but there were a lot. Oh, no. Okay. It might've been, I don't think it was Astrolabe. I think it was Deathrite Shaman. Interesting. Might've, might've been like a trop for Deathrite, but whatever. I, I don't care to try and figure this out. All right. Um. So yeah, that's, that's kind of it. I don't know. Do you think I, I missed any highlights? You hit the bigger ones for me. I think some of the things that are most memorable for me in Magic are like events where my friends did really well too, right? So if I had to like reflect back of like my top three or five memories, those are always the things that come to mind immediately. Um, And I I really do think that like the gathering part of Magic is what keeps me coming back. And uh, the it's certainly the reason that I've found myself playing Magic here again. My friends usually will pull me out to an event or two just to see them and I'll go catch up and I'll play in an event and you know, then I get the itch and, uh, I love competing. I love practicing at it. And, um, yeah, that's, that's what comes to mind. So one of the, the caveats, uh, for, for the person that I wanted to, uh, not, not replace Brian replace is not a good word, but like, you know, follow Brian, uh, is Brian's that, successor. Yeah. Yeah. Is that I, I wanted that person to, you know, like, obviously, at this point, it's pretty clear that everyone is going to leave me, you know, like I'm going to be the last one here or whatever. But I, I want you to stick around for like a little bit, you know. Um, So I, I made sure to check with you first that like, you know, you are playing Magic. I know that you've been going to events and we've been talking about uh like what events each person is going to and and whatnot. But uh, yeah, your your plans are to stick around, at least in the, you know, 
short to long-term future, I guess, right? Uh, I would hope so, right? Um, magic for me and my relationship with it is a little bit different now. Um, I have a corporate nine to five job. I have a wife. I have a three-year-old son. So I need to be a little bit more deliberate about planning my events out, whereas magic used to be a lot more spontaneous for me. Uh, so I've used the traveling part of magic in this post-COVID era now to be able to, as an excuse to reconnect with old friends. So my brother lives in Texas as an example. So we'll try to find an event in a month, two months, three months away and coordinate a trip or a weekend to go together. And magic's kind of just the excuse to go and hang out. And if it's not just about the the two days or three days spending time together, but it's also the weeks leading up to that event. It's a reason to talk to each other, to jump online after work each day and to prepare and practice and debate and battle, if you will, over the decisions or what my 15th sideboard card should be. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you went to SCG down in Dallas pretty recently and like you won the Sunday tournament. Is that right? Yeah, I went to that was last fall, I believe. And my brother was playing creativity at the time and he went EXO in the Swiss and lost in the top eight. And I did not do as well in day one. I played the, the same deck, but was not nearly as well practiced as he was. And he talked me into playing it at dinner the night before the tournament. So I scrambled to buy the rest of the cards. We actually had to go to, we bought a whole bunch of packs because I was missing some cards for it. And the, none of the vendors had them. Like so, Turn to Earth or whatever? Uh, I think it was, um, yeah, it was some common. I don't remember exactly which card it was, but we were buying packs like three and five at a time and just told the the, the dealer to keep coming back with more until we got them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then I was able to win the event on Sunday, uh, which qualified me for the regional championships, which was great. And um, just a fun event, right? My brother did really well. He talked me into playing this deck and I was able to, you know, capitalize on that. And yeah, I've been playing a lot of creativity and a lot of modern events ever since. And I, I, I think the deck is totally busted. Yeah. And I, I think that people are probably going to view you as a good influence on me in that uh, I'm, I'm already like playing more magic. We're, we're talking about magic a decent amount already. You and I had a little sesh a couple days ago, which uh, maybe we'll get into talking about a little bit later. Um, I, I kind of view it as a bad influence <laughs> to be perfectly honest, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I'll say the the difference I think between you and I is I really love playing in the events and it's um if I don't do well on the first day you're typically going to see or find my me playing in an event the second day uh, I even if I'm not the most well practiced in a tournament anytime I have a chance to fire a bullet I love it um, I love the opportunity the the scratch ticket if you will and obviously I would prefer to be better practiced but I will I, I will battle any day anytime. Okay. Yeah. I, I used to be like that, but I don't know, even as far as the like, oh, even if I'm not well-practiced or whatever, I kind of hate showing up to a tournament feeling like I'm, I'm not prepared. I'm not ready. Like I'm, I'm just going to like do badly. Like what's the point sort of thing. So it, it, yeah, it's understandable. And listen, the, the, the challenging part for me that I've had to learn how to deal with more is my expectations of myself don't really change which is not rational in any capacity. Yeah. But. I I mean, that's, that's the same thing with me though, which is, which is why I just like don't want to play if I think I'm going to do badly. Yeah. And a little bit relatable. And again, I, I play and then I'm miserable after or frustrated with myself that I didn't play as well as I could, but we deal with it in a slightly different way. Yeah. That said, I don't think that any tournaments where, you know, it's, I, I'm aware that it is happening a couple weeks out 
or whatever. Like I, I never feel like, oh, I'm, I'm underprepared. Like that has not been the thing keeping me from playing lately. It has just been that a lot of these events don't necessarily have a bunch of people that I'm tight with. So getting to coordinate with you and like maybe show up to the same event at some point is is great. Sounds awesome to me. And I will happily play in that event. Yeah. And I, I very much hope and expect that there'll be more and a lot of that in the future. I will say that the amount of magic events I've gone to and played in by myself is incredibly low over the years, almost near zero. Um, so what, right. what typically gets me to the events is a friend asking me to go. And like I said, it's an excuse to see them and a chance to do something that I really enjoy. And if I don't do well, then we can go grab lunch or dinner after and hang out. And if I do well, then it's a win-win. Word. So kind of the weird thing for me is that like your, your resume is pretty good and people I would guess still don't know who you are. And I want to know why that is. I'm not going to say it's intentional or by design. Um, I've always had a lot of thoughts about magic and I've always had a lot of outlets to share them and discuss them. Um, you know this, that you've been trying to get me to make content since I think I first met you. And it was it was never something that I've always been hesitant to have magic be a job or a source of income for me. I always I, I don't know why I don't I, I have some reasons or what have you, but I tried very hard to keep those parts of my life separate. Um, I, not too much, but uh, I don't have a huge social media presence. And again, that's not necessarily intentional. I, I consume a pretty insane amount of magic content, but I would very much describe myself as a lurker. Yeah. And like, why, why do you think that is? So like my, my thing back in the day was like reading star city and they used to have forums on their articles, even before like the Facebook comments and stuff. And it was like, if, if someone wrote something that I knew was wrong, I wanted to go on there and tell them, which is not a great personality trait if we're being honest, but like that, that was what I did. And you were just like, you would read something and like not feel the need to like share your thoughts or your confidence level in what your opinion was, was not as high or what was going on there. I, I think I did have, I did share my thoughts and what the difference is, is I had outlets that were less public to be able to do that. So I have a, a whole bunch of different, you know, discord channels and Facebook messenger groups with friends where I'm able to share my thoughts and debate different concepts or cards or magic things. So what I would do is take a screenshot of that and post it in this group channel with eight of my friends. And we would, you know, I would scratch that itch there. Right. So I think the fact that I had these outlets um, kind of steered me away from looking elsewhere for them. But I think if I didn't have that network or friends group to do that in, um, I would have looked for it elsewhere and, and perhaps been closer to where you were. Interesting. I'm I'm slowly learning that uh, not only do I not have friends now, but I did not have friends then. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> I I didn't have the right people, man. No, there was, there was like no one I felt comfortable just like, I don't know, you know, doing that way, just like sharing a thing and kind of just like assuming or knowing that they were thinking about stuff the same way that I was, you know? Yeah. And I think the fact that I had some really close friends that were also ridiculously good at magic and had similar thought processes as I did gave me those outlets to do that. And I couldn't be more grateful and thankful for that. Cool. So... Now that might change a little bit. Uh, when when Brian started, I don't necessarily know that you know 
things are going to get to this point or whatever, but he had like 500 Twitter followers, like a very modest following. And, and now he's like well over 10 K and certainly a lot of that, uh, like the recent acquisitions have come from flesh and blood folks and, and whatnot, but you know, it's like you're, you're being more in the public eye by doing this. Like, does, does that affect you at all? Do you care? Um, I didn't think I cared, but I'd be lying if I said I wasn't nervous about it. Uh, I don't know what to expect necessarily. I do have a Twitter. I think I have like 30 followers and I don't believe I've ever tweeted a single thing, but I do use that to consume quite a bit of content and I enjoy it. And will that change? I don't know. I don't, I I haven't really thought about it a ton, to be honest. Uh, I would imagine that you're going to be dragging me into some of the stuff and I'll probably enjoy it. And thank you for it after you do. Uh, maybe I, I, I used to really enjoy Twitter and I I think it is basically like a, sh- a shell of what it used to be. So even I am not on Twitter all that often, you know, like I used to go on like multiple times a day and now I'll go on like a couple times a week. So fair. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be Twitter, but I- I'm not super opposed to any type of public discourse or debate. Yeah, you're down to battle. <laughs> yeah, and 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 I say battle sarcastically, right? But I, I I love a good debate. I think there's merits to you know multiple sides and multiple different right answers to the same question. I'm not someone who believes there's a single right answer to a situation. I think the devil's in the details, and there can be different right answers for different people. I mostly believe that. <laughs> it's 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 interesting, right? So like. One of Finkel's famous quotes, which, you know, this this was the thing like early 2000s or whatever, and I think that magic has changed dramatically since then, was that like there's only one right play. Yeah, and I think that like in a purist mentality, if we were AI bots or what have you and didn't make mistakes, I could buy that and believe that. But I'm someone that very much believes that the right play needs to factor in the player and if you are less practiced in a matchup, the, that matchup being dragged on for longer gives you more opportunities to make mistakes. And there only being exactly one right play for a given situation assumes you're going to make all future plays correctly as well, which yeah. is just not reality. So I, I'm a big believer that the right angle and play or maybe the length that you play a game for, whether you drag it out or get a little bit more aggressive to end it quickly, uh, changes based on how well practiced you are in the matchup. Yeah, I think the most, uh, not necessarily like common, but like easiest to spot in in reality sort of example is like, you know, how, how many turns do you want to give your opponent to potentially draw out of something? And I think that there are a decent amount of scenarios where you can choose to either play very aggressively and like have the game be one or loss on like razor thin margins, or you give them like an extra turn, maybe an extra two turns to just like accumulate a little bit of extra value or like hold back an extra blocker or something. And it's just like, I I, I can see that sort of thing being a little bit more profitable, say if it's limited and you don't know the format super well or whatever, you know, it's like it maybe you're less likely to just die to like a random combat trick that you hadn't seen before or something. So. Yeah, fair. Yeah, it is it is definitely interesting. Like there I I mostly do feel like if you want to distill everything down that there there probably is just one right play and I agree that it does hinge on you making all further plays correct as well. 
And that is kind of what I strive for, even though I know it's not super realistic, but um, the, I, I've kind of loosened on that a little bit when uh, there is, there's a scenario where I played on camera where I gave my opponent an extra turn. Um, I, I basically missed lethal, but what had happened actually was like, I found lethal that played around everything. It just gave my opponent an extra turn. So like, it's, technically worse like i get to give them an extra draw step or whatever but like i i found a thing that was 100 percent lock a winning line and i just stopped looking right yeah yeah and relatable and i i think a, a lot of people do that maybe when it's not 100 percent. but one of the things i've always prided myself in is being able to take a game where you're say 80 or 85 percent to win where you have it pretty locked up and finding ways to get that extra few percentage points there uh, i i think I see a lot of people uh, that when the game starts to really swing in their favor and it looks like it's all but locked up, they get a little bit less tight. Yeah. Yeah, I I really, I don't like that. I don't know. That is a very common thing, right? To start playing like a little loosey-goosey and I'm always of the mindset of like, I don't want to mess this up, you know? Like it's, it is close to being over. It would be a shame if something were to happen, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I'm somebody like even in the tournaments that I've done really well at or the formats that I've known really well when I think I've been playing at my best, I make a lot of mistakes still. And I, I notice them. I wouldn't describe myself as like a super mechanically tight player. So I think that might be where a lot of my you know opinions about playing perfectly and what have you and how unrealistic that is, is like that's a reality for me very much. Sure. Right? Do you think uh, that you think that your overall like view of of games is good though? Like you just know like how how games are going to play out, like that sort of thing. Yeah. Yes, I would you? say that for sure. And I think a lot of the mistakes I make, I see the right line almost immediately after, or or very quickly, and maybe not always, right? But that that is a common feeling and sentiment that I have in tournaments, and that might you know lead into why I might take an extra second or two to make some of the more complex decisions. Um, I think those like really interesting turns are like my favorite part of magic. I have a lot of different screenshots that I've saved over the years of different points in time that I could yes. look back and just stare at for an hour. Yep. And, yeah. and that that's some of my favorite content content to make also. It's just, it, it's really dense, you know, like people don't necessarily like it all that much. Yeah. Um, yeah maybe, I found maybe, myself, I found myself doing it a lot more with magic arena and with the rope and what have you, you don't really have the time to really deep yeah. dive deep into a complex situation. So I would find myself taking screenshots during games and then looking back at them after. And oftentimes I would regret the decision that I made, uh, which I think you know feeds into some of the other thoughts I have on pace of play and the likes. Yeah. Yeah. Moto is certainly much more conducive to that, like getting your you know five or 10 minutes to just tank, do whatever. Yeah, and I don't know off the top of my head, but I would wager that my win rates on both of the platforms kind of you know hold true to that as well, that my winning percentage in Magic Online events is definitely higher than Arena. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked by that. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious, because like I have, a, I have a bunch of different accounts, and it's like, you know, whenever they have like the box or whatever, it's like, oh, this is this person's win rate or whatever, and it's like, well, can you compile my win rate over the 30 accounts that I have? Because like, I want to know that, you know? Yeah. I, I also do a lot of silly things in leagues and what have you. So I'm not sure I actually want to know what my win rate is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, fair enough. Okay. So, uh, you know, you're, you're an adult. Uh, basically I think that I'm a old person like cosplaying as a child, 
or whatever, but like, you know, you're, you're married, you have a kid, you have a full-time job, but, uh, like you're still doing magic stuff. And I'm, I'm curious, like why, why it's magic specifically, you know? Yeah. It, it's interesting question. And to be honest, it's a little bit surprising to me too. Uh, but I, I have a stressful job that is very engaging. I work in cybersecurity. And I, I love my job, but it, it takes a lot out of me. And my, my brain is oftentimes after work, like going a thousand miles an hour. So, uh, Magic for me is an outlet where I need to distract that my brain and slow it down a little bit. And the only way I found to do that is find something that I can focus on entirely. And magic I found is a way to kind of like slow myself down as a break before that. So I, I found it as a really good outlet for me after work, especially after a stressful day to kind of distract myself. And when I'm playing a game of magic, that, that's all I'm thinking about, right? The, the, the rest of the world, the rest of the things in my life aren't, aren't there. The, only the game right in front of me is. Cool. Um, I guess like it, it helps too that you have a bunch of friends from, you know, magic back in the day or whatever. It's like pretty easy to get roped into things. And then it's like an added bonus if you're also kind of like preparing, uh, and then you show up to these tournaments just to like see people like you would prefer to at least like have a fighting chance of doing well. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And and like I said earlier, the that's usually what the instigator is for me going to an event is, you know, my friends trying to pull me to do something and then I'll go and practice and focus on that. And I, I love the preparation aspect of magic as well. I wouldn't describe myself as a brewer, but I love like dissecting a format and trying to find an angle that I think, you know, applies well for my play style and then tuning a deck and looking to get an edge there. Yeah, I mean, looking at the vast majority of like your your history like the decks that you've made top eight with you're you're never like playing like an actual stock deck i also don't think i'm playing anything totally off the walls and maybe no, the no. gifts rock deck is an exception to that but i that like i said that was a deck that somebody else had made and and we yeah. knew going into that event that like we were definitely ahead of other people that was but a I, moto deck too i mean it wasn't yep. it wasn't like oh look at this like completely weird new thing or whatever yeah it was, it was. And I think we made it, you know, a couple of small tweaks to the deck. And then also Icarid became a thing, which just coincidentally was a fantastic matchup. And I think that kind of all played into it. I got to main deck a Haunting Echoes at that tournament, which is something I vividly remember. And that was a fun card to cast. Ugh. I know, well, you know, good luck getting to that point with that thing still in your hand. I, I know that you had two Wither Wretches main. Yes, Two Which Withered is, Wretch and a whole bunch of Living Wishes yeah. and more to grab in the sideboard. Withered Wretch uh, <laughs> is like the worst scavenging use of all time. It's a BB for a 2-2, two, two, one remove card from a graveyard. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, not not great against like Affinity and the like. Uh, just like really bad against a lot of people, but just kind of unbeatable from the Icarid side of things, which I was on. And yeah. that's how I lost to your boy. yeah. I like um, mercy ruling my opponents, if you will. Killing them with a spoon is a reference that we used to use a lot, and that deck did that very well. Yes. Yeah, you're being down with like an Eternal Witness and assorted other like two power things. Yeah, and I've removed all your win conditions from your deck, and you can't possibly win, but I'm going to sit here and attack you for two ten times in a row. Yeah, I, I mean, I love that too. It's, it is good. It's good, clean magic, you know? So, you're playing a bunch. I'm, I'm not being forced. But I I am playing more. Um and it it is it is definitely like the people involved, you know, like it it does 
not only make it palatable, it makes it like actually fun. Like we, like I said, we, we hung out a couple of days ago and, and played some and it was good times and definitely something I missed. So like, I'm going to be playing more too, uh, almost certainly. And if, if nothing else, just to like keep up with you in conversation, you know, I feel like obligated to do that, but like we got this podcast thing. Uh, I, I made sure to check that you were willing to stick around for a bit and uh, you were listening like the last six months. I mean, when, when I started this cast, I wanted it to be like the spikiest podcast of all time. And clearly the last six months were not a very good representation of that. Nor, nor do I think that that's like where the podcast should really end up or whatever. It's probably somewhere in the middle, but, uh, I, I think that is probably going to be, uh, the trend going forward. Yeah. I, I would prefer that. Right. And I, while I have been playing a lot more magic recently, I wouldn't say I've been winning a ton of magic more recently. Right. So that's definitely something I'm looking to improve on and change a little bit. But yeah, my, like I said, I, I really enjoy the dissecting of a format and I typically do better and enjoy formats more the longer that I play them. So I, I really am looking forward to conning you into coming to some events and, you know, working through preparing for them together. And hopefully we can share those experiences in real time. Cool. Me too. Uh, I mean, I've, I've been to a few events and it's been okay. You know, I've, I've haven't regretted going or anything, but they could have been better if I had more people around me that I liked. Cause back in the day, it was just like, you kind of knew everyone, you know, like the height of the SCG stuff, for example. Right. It's like, you have like 50 friends in the room or something. And recently it's been like a handful. So. Yeah. Definitely feel, you know, my age is made very aware to me when I go into these rooms and I can relate to that a lot, but I will say I did not have to try very hard to convince you to go to this event. No. So, uh, first thing on our docket is, uh, SCG Cincy, which is July 13th. Sounds right. Two, three weeks from now, somewhere in that range. A little team event. Which are the best. So Pioneer Modern Legacy, uh, probably one of the last events that will be legacy did you know that no i did not i mean i i've been following it a little bit i i would i would say i'm i'm hopeful and optimistic that it is not true but i very much legacy is a format i very much enjoy and always have and the more opportunities and chances i get to play it the better and that's actually legacy is what sucked me back into magic quite a few times so that would be unfortunate um but it is i mean last last rodeo man sounds like you want to take the legacy seat Listen, I would love to take the legacy seat. Uh, the legacy format right now is a little bit off the rails for me. And it's I getting better. It's solidifying it, a little bit. It, Yeah. The more solidified the legacy formats are, typically, the more I enjoy them. Um, I don't love Brewer's Paradises where everybody's just doing a ton of different random things. I, I like to be able to accurately predict a metagame and then try to find something that can target that. And when the metagame is all over the place, that can be a very difficult thing to do. Same. Well, yeah. So, uh, me, you, and recruiting your brother, who I've literally never met. Yeah. And my brother's somebody who I have played a good amount of Magic with remotely, and that's been kind of our excuse to hang out. Uh, he lives in Texas, and I've traveled to a few events with him over the last year, and that that really was, Magic was the excuse for us to get together. Uh, we grew up together and spent a lot of time together. We're a year apart. A little fun side tangent of my brother's really what got me into magic. Uh, I am 14 months older than him. I was 
two inches taller, a tiny bit faster, a tiny bit stronger growing up. And we played every sport and we were both very competitive and I was always a tiny bit better than him at everything. And magic was the first thing that I can remember that he was ever better than me at. And that didn't really sit very well with me. And I can remember that was what really drove me to focus a lot on improving. And improving at magic at this time was difficult. There wasn't a ton of content. Magic Online was a thing, but I was a young kid and didn't have a credit card. So that made things a little bit challenging. But that, that's really what drove me and pushed me, I think, to take that next step in magic. You couldn't let them have one thing? I, listen, looking back on it, it sounds a little bad. And I, you know, in retrospect, I wish I, I, I let him get a few more. But uh, I think we're both stronger for it. And I surpassed him in that. I, I still think that in a well-practiced format, you could make a strong argument that he's better than me. But it requires that I trick him into practicing for events, which I have been able to more successfully do recently. So, I don't know, like early early 2010s or whatever, like you were obviously playing a bunch and doing pretty well. What, what was he doing? He was in college. He was partying. He learned what, you know, di- different aspects in life. And I, I, I was, he did end up playing a lot of Magic Online, but he was, I, I think he's better at constructed than limited, but limited was like the only format that he played for like a decade. So okay. we would be able to drag him out to a limited event here and there, but he was not really playing Magic in real life, really just a lot of Magic Online. And he won a lot. We just could hardly ever convince him to come to an event. I know way too many people like that yeah and they're typically limited grinders as well right so maybe if we had more limited events that might be an an easy way to pull some of these people from the depths uh how do you feel about las vegas it i have a full-time job so it's a little bit different for me and the way that i engage with magic is quite a bit different than it was 10, 15 years ago. And 10 or 15 years ago, that tournament would have been totally off the table for me. But money is no longer an object for me. Time is. So I'm looking for the highest quality events I can play. So it was definitely appealing. I don't love Las Vegas in general as a city. So that's like not necessarily the most appealing thing in the world. But it was definitely tempting. But I need to pick and choose my battles. Okay. I, um, I have other obligations in my life, so I need to be very relatively strategic and well-planned with what weekends and events I travel to, and that one just doesn't line up well for me, unfortunately. That's fair. I think I'm getting dragged out there by different group of friends, and I don't know, given given that it is limited, I, I mean, I guess I don't know how much limited he's playing now. Maybe he is just playing more constructed. But. Listen, maybe you can convince him to come, and you know, I love a good sealed deck tournament. I, sealed deck it might be my favorite format in general. I think probably the most underrated and yeah very jealous that you're gonna make the trip there you better play there's no way you're gonna go and not play right uh i mean i have not uh purchased any like badges or entry into the event or anything i don't know if it has opened or sold out or what and i was uh i i agreed to go before they even announced the limited thing so I don't feel obligated to like play in the thing. We'll work on that. We'll see. Um, yeah. So now I'm, I'm looking at your, your brother's ELO project. That's exciting. And the last two things that show up are pioneer. That's 2022, 2023. The thing before that is 2014. Uh, so that's, a, that's a pretty big gap. Yeah. And it's just like limited, 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 uh, RTR standard. Okay. Uh, limited, 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 
Limited, and then GP New Jersey 2004 Mirrodin Block. I was at that one. Yes, I believe that was a, a Jeff Garza win, if I remember correctly. That is correct. Uh, yeah, that was maybe like my fourth Grand Prix, fifth Grand Prix, something like that. Yeah, I think it was my first. And if I remember correctly, I was doing well in the second day and was in danger of needing to drop when I was in contention because I was still playing on the junior super series at the time. And if you got a pro point, you weren't able to play in nationals. And I was qualified for that. So I was in danger of having to drop from the tournament that I was in contention in. Yeah, so. that that stuff that stuff was hilarious to me. Um, because there there's also this thing that happened where uh Mike McGee wanted to qualify on rating for something and like also didn't want to like actually qualify because I think it like got to play an extra year in the JSS before his pro tour or something. So he renounced his buys at a grand prix three owed and then dropped from that event. Yes, I was there. I remember that. And I believe he used someone else's deck that had three buys and they used the same 75. Oh, that's great. I didn't And he know just that. handed the deck off after round three. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. Listen, the, 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 the construct or the, the competitive format today there's a lot of opportunities. It could be a lot better than it is, but it's definitely a lot better than it was back then. Yes. Ooh, looking looking at your brother's history. GP Atlantic City, 2013, round 15, defeating Todd Anderson 2-0. Easy game. Yeah, I believe that was a John Stern Bant Hexproof Grand Prix win. Correct. And that was we were that that was a surprising event where we both were able to figure out playing Magic Online that Hexproof was a little bit under the radar and was by far the best deck for that event. And we both played it. And uh, definitely a bullet I would love to have back because of how far ahead of the field it was at the time. Yeah, there was like three in top eight or something. Yeah, yeah. Just everybody was sleeping on it, which is kind of a little crazy to think about because if I remember correctly, the Magic Online results for like the three days leading up to the tournament, it was just absolutely dominating and people still didn't adjust. And I can't imagine that happening today. Well, it's it's hard to switch decks last second, uh, especially if you're not willing to do the thing that you did in Dallas, which is like, you know, go to a vendor and crack booster packs for like the garbage ethereal armors that you need for your, your hexproof deck, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so, some people just don't don't have the heart. You know what I mean? And, yeah. And uh, hexproof I, is a fun mechanic where, you know, it's not always easy to just add a card to your sideboard that's good against that matchup. Right. And and certainly in, in that standard format, I don't think that there really was either. It was just like, do you have a naturally good matchup against this or don't you? Yeah. I don't remember it being the most fun format to play for whatever that's worth. Yeah. And I guess Hexproof also is like not a fun deck that you would really be hyped to audible into in a lot of instances too. So Certainly not my style, but listen, if you're going to get an edge like that, um, I am more than willing to do it. Yeah, sign me up. You still get to cast Geist, right? It's basically Delver. It's the same thing. Yeah, same thing. Uh, okay, so we got a little bit of time left, so I guess we can talk about uh, us hanging out a couple days ago. Happy to. Okay, so... Uh, God, how do I even want to set this up? It's like we're, we're talking about a bunch of stuff, just like on the regular, right? And sort of talking about the one ring in Modern, and, you know, Brian and I didn't do... Uh, like a top 10 or even like give that set a very hard look for modern or anything. And then I'm 
going to Baltimore was interesting because it was it was the pre-release weekend, but it was also the first weekend that things were legal. And so I'm hearing like trickles of information as to like what cards people are looking for and stuff. And I have no idea what any of them do really. <laughs> uh, but then, you know, like after, after that weekend and then looking at like some magic online results and like Twitter and all that stuff, it's just like, Oh, the one ring is just like showing up in all these decks. And like, certainly if you watch aspiring spike stream at all, uh, you know, he'll, he'll put those cards to work. Uh, and I've already seen some masterpieces from him and everything. So I don't know. We were talking about that card basically. And then Corey Bowmeister won uh, a challenge or like a super challenge, whatever the hell they're called, with uh, Jeskai Breach that had some some rings in it. And you've been playing a lot of creativity and we're just talking about like the matchup or whatever. And I was like, let's let's battle. And you're like, yeah. Yeah. I think, listen, I would have loved to see a top 10 video on that set, just given, I, I think there were a lot of sleepers. I, I think there's there's quite a few cards that at this point look like they're going to be pretty big hits that w- w- certainly wouldn't have been cards that I would have had near the top of my list. Um, and the One Ring's one of them, one of the hardest cards to evaluate, I think I've, I've seen in a long time. And I- until I had seen it in play and in, in, you know, in a game, I don't know that I would have ever realized quite how good it actually is. Probably would have been on our top 10 because like we we talked about some of the cards, uh, like their, the early previews or whatever. And that was one of the cards that we did talk about. And my first thought was like, you know, is there any way to like bounce this or like sack it and recur it or whatever? Because like obviously that effect is very, very powerful. And that that is certainly proven true. But also, yeah, just the draw engine aspect of it is kind of cracked too. So. Yeah, um, turns out there's like time walk plus draw three or four cards is going to get in, in a lot of these combo decks. There's a lot of weird ways to kill people in modern and there's quite a few decks that can that one extra turn can really put you over the top. And I've seen it in quite a few different decks that I, I don't even know exactly where it fits, but that ability to kill your opponent all in one turn seems to be the, the home for it for sure. Yeah, that's what it seems like to me too, because it, it is weird to play it alongside a bunch of other permanents. Where it's like you you cast this, you get to draw a card, you have protection, but your stuff doesn't. So to me, it just seems like oh, your opponent can kind of take a turn off of trying to pressure you and maybe just deal with some of the stuff that you have in play or whatever. And I, I've seen it in like the Omnath list with all the Planeswalkers and uh, the the green one drop Halfling, which obviously seems pretty good in that deck, and also with the One Ring, but. Uh, that, that doesn't really seem to be the case because it's like, yeah, even if you go after my stuff, like I still have this ring that you kind of have to deal with. Yeah, it, it in the Yawgmoth deck seems fantastic and it seems to be doing well there as well, doing well there. And it was surprising to me in that matchup that we played, I, I was playing a deck with four spell pierces. So you want to play a four mana artifact, like bring it on. I thought I was, you know, going to be all set with it. And it was, it was surprisingly scary. Yeah, Um, I will say that I think I drew spell pierce more often than you did. So like I was on the breach side, you were on the creativity side, right? Yes. And maybe that has to do with me being like a a little bit leaner and like having, I don't know, more card selection and in like the iterations and stuff like that. But uh, it, it did seem like, I don't know, maybe, maybe the fact that like I was, uh, pretty pretty tight with my spell pierces not like tight in the good way but just like clutching onto them uh until like the last possible moment you know like really trying to snag a three drop or like really trying to force something through 
maybe stop a creativity or whatever, you know, like I, th- I think there were a lot of instances where you would like kill my Ragavan or something. I could have pierced it and I just chose not to, you know, and like you, at that point you kind of like knew that I had it too. Yeah. I think the, your deck also has the ability to have that flexibility and the creativity deck is so mana hungry that my experience with it is that it, if you have the ability to trade cards or resources and you have the mana available, you, you got to do it because you, that mana is not going to be, you don't have a lot of other ways to utilize it. And the deck is so mana hungry and has so many things to do with its mana that, that if you have a good opportunity to spell pure something, you just do it. Yeah. And may, maybe the one ring changes that. And I just haven't quite adjusted yet. Uh, I'd love to go back and l- look back at them again. But I, if you're casting an expressive iteration and I can spell pure, so like, I, I don't know if I could possibly resist not. Right. Yeah. And I, I agree with that. Like all of it, uh, generally just uh, try and spend all of your mana on every turn and in your creativity deck where, uh, a lot of your cards are reactive. It's just like, anytime you get a chance to trade cards, you should probably do it, especially when your top end is so powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think one of the other interesting things to talk, like, so I've been playing a lot of creativity. I've been enjoying the deck quite a bit. I've, I, I have a, modern i god i don't even know what they're called super challenge thingy coming up in a few weeks so i I think the showcase showcase yeah i believe that's what it's called i've never played in one of these before so i don't actually know how they work but i have a qualifier token or what have you so i I think that's going to end up pushing me more towards the modern seat for this event um which is a little bit unfortunate because i would love to shotgun the legacy seat from you um but it's it's hard to imagine me playing something other than creativity just given how many games i've had with it over the last six to nine months and it, it just seems still to be so well positioned in the format but um yeah i think the what what really drove us to get together and play some of these games is hey does the one ring change that um it it, it might uh it, I, it's certainly not something i would have expected to change that two weeks ago but uh the results um that i've seen over the last few weeks might yeah so there's there's a lot of smaller cards in the lord of the Rings set that that have you know like maybe a smaller impact or whatever and it's like those those things are impactful they do matter but i think overall the big thing that people need to figure out is what the best home for the ring is and i don't think that we're like anywhere near figuring that out yet i would Um, agree yeah but like as as soon as you get closer to honing in on that that is the thing that is probably going to give you the the biggest edge more so than like i don't know playing around with like random three mana blue red card that is effectively the same as like every other three mana blue red card in the format yeah a lot of small upgrades for different random decks but those aren't going to appreciably change any matchups or put any deck i think over the top just small upgrades are always good but they don't change anything right and i think the one ring's the one exception to that of i if there is a really good home for it or whatever the best home for it ends up being could really change the format yeah uh if if i were still writing weekly this this would be a good time for me i'd be having a lot of fun and even i don't know not being uh forced or whatever into writing and like coming up with content or whatever it is difficult to turn off like that brewer's part of my brain where it's like i've already built a bunch of decks around this thing like some stuff that other people have not been doing or just trying to like iterate on stuff that people have done. And I don't, I don't think that I am close to finding like a a home where it's like, Oh yeah, like this, this deck is good and the ring is good in it. And those things combined maybe make this thing well positioned versus 
what a lot of people are doing where they just take like an old deck and see where they can slot in two or three of them. Yeah. And I don't even know what exactly what style of deck it's going to end up being the best in. So I, I don't even know if we've scratched the surface on where that optimal home is. No, we haven't. It's it's going to be a lot of work, but it's like I am very eagerly looking at the Magic Online deck list every single day just to see what people are doing because, I don't know, modern is certainly more narrow than it was, I think, but there's still basically like a hundred different decks that you can build, you know? So, uh, how many of them can add a four mana colorless card? Well, it turns out a lot of them. Yeah, it turns out a lot of them. And I'm very excited to see the modern pro tour coming up here. I, I frankly, I wish it was a little bit sooner just because I, I think the, the added pressures of needing to figure this out would be a lot more interesting. And, um, I look forward to, uh, seeing what everybody comes up with. Yeah, Pro Tour, like two weeks after a set releases, is just the best, the absolute best. Yeah, and I, I would imagine that if if the Wondering had come out a few weeks before the Pro Tour, that would probably be some of the most stressful few weeks for anybody that was qualified just because of how clearly good it is, but the home for it is so not clear that that pressure is sounds really fun, sounds like I probably wouldn't sleep a lot if I was in that situation, <laughs> and yeah. I've I've worked some twelve hour days testing for PTs, you know, and uh, probably probably more than that, honestly. Yeah. yeah. But it, yeah, good times mostly. Uh, so yeah, we're we're just like, oh, let's take take this ring deck because you get to play a little bit with the ring, get a sense of that, get a sense of like, is this even good against a deck like Creativity, where they do have four spell pierces, and even like, is is this effect actually good? And uh, this is definitely an instance of the ring slotting into a deck that has been kind of outmoded by modern uh, and, and definitely felt that where just like, you know, playing some of the games is just like, I, I, I don't think that like my strategy is on the same power level sort of as, as what my opponent is trying to do. Like I, I would still be much more likely to, if the choice was now register creativity than I would be to register the breach deck or whatever. Um, but obviously there, there were some good moments where it's like, I, I still just have like an OTK, you know, like I, I have a thing that can just like kill you on the spot. And that is how I ended most of the games. And there were some instances where the ring came down and actually did stuff. And the, there were definitely a lot of instances where it was absolutely the card that I was going to put back off my mulligan or, uh, the card that I was just like, I'm never going to have time to cast this game, you know? So it, the ring itself was kind of hit or miss and the amount that I kept in after board also changed player draw, which, uh, you know, it isn't maybe something that you think about until like you're actually in the seat and you're like, okay, what do I do here? Yeah. And I, I will say it, it certainly changes the dynamic for the inevitability of the games. Um, but giving the breach deck too many turns already is a, a scary thing to do. And I think the, the ring just adds more to that. Um, yeah, it turns out protection from everything is really strong. Yeah, Archon, Archon targets. Yeah. So that's a thing. Um, so yeah, it was, it was kind of cool where it's like I get to put ring into play, uh, draw three cards over the next two turns. You get to creativity for like two or whatever. And it's like, all right, well, I'll just, you know, breach and double heat your two things away. Or maybe that just sets up for me to actually like kill you that turn or something. But yeah. And that certainly happened. Yeah, there were games where it did look good, but certainly uh, a clunker in in that matchup. But 
Uh, yeah, I would imagine from my side, right, the games where it wasn't good, I probably didn't see, right? Yeah, from my perspective, exactly. every time I saw it, it was incredibly frustrating to play against, and it was, uh, it, it felt very strong. But I would imagine the times where it's eating away in your hand, you know, I, I'm that's not something I see. No, you're like, oh yeah, I just I got to win this one pretty easily, or you like ran away with it early because I had this silly four mana card in my hand instead of something that was like a little bit either, you know proactive and made you spend your mana on other things or was a reactive card that could stop like a, a goblin shaman token or something. So yeah. Uh, or maybe like there, there were games where it was like the last ditch effort, you know, it's like I cast this thing because it's all I have left. It's just been rotting in my hand the entire game and I just end up losing anyway. Yeah. I think if I remember correctly, the, the majority of the games where you casted it, you did win. And I, I can only remember one offhand where you, you did play it and I was able to win still. Um, but I was quite far ahead at that point anyway. Right. And I think that was one of those instances where it was just kind of like rotting in my hand, you know? Yeah. Uh, but there, there were also a lot of games where uh, I would have two of them. Or, I mean, I guess when, when you mulligan and you have something that you're pretty happy to put back, that's not the worst case scenario, you know, but this deck also has like a lot of kind of garbagey cards like <laughs> grinding station, the occasional mox Amber, the random saga artifact or whatever. So Ooh. it's not like, Oh man, like breach really needed more of those cards. I guess like the second copy of breach kind of falls under that category too. Yeah. A deck that already had a lot of embarrassing opening hands and it, just another card that kind of can add to that. So, yeah. So maybe, maybe three copies is not right, but I mean, if if you are a breach player and it is something that you're comfortable with and you think that you get more percentage points just by like sticking with what you know than by trying something else or it's just like I don't want to buy another thousand dollar deck or whatever, totally understandable, you know, like, I don't know, try out try out a couple rings. I think that if you play like two in your main deck, that's completely fine and reasonable and I don't think you're going to run into many situations where you feel like, it's it's like really just ruining your overall chances of winning the fact that this is in your hand it's like when you start drawing like multiple copies uh or like the ring alongside another pretty unplayable card like that's when it starts to be detrimental but overall just like having them as an option felt felt great it definitely did level up the deck a little bit yeah i would agree and i i think some of the decks that are maybe a little bit more consistent in their card quality it might be a little bit more appealing in right i in the yogmoth deck for example it, it looks fantastic right it, it, the yogmoth deck doesn't have a lot of the same problems of some of these stinker opening hands and um definitely has that ability to kill you out of nowhere on that extra turn so um yeah there's a lot of interesting places to try it yeah i kind of like it in yog too because it's a little bit on the slower side and doesn't have a ton of ways to grind unless your your opponent's sort of like pigeonholed into interacting with you and like lightning bolting your strangle root geist and stuff like yes you can grind them that way but like if they're able to ignore those cards then it doesn't really matter and you don't have a ton of two for ones until you actually get yakmoth into play you know yeah and a deck that can make huge advantage of the extra cards right was already in danger of flooding out so this hel this helps out with that a lot and has the mana acceleration to d deploy it early so I, I think there's a lot to be said there a lot going for it yeah and i mean I i've seen lists that have the the halfling to make yog uncounterable and then you get like ring on top of it uh it feels probably pretty nice and the thing that i was talking about earlier like maybe maybe it matters a little bit as far as like your opponent can just like give you the time walk and focus on the stuff that you have in play. Like 
Yogg doesn't really care about that because yeah. all the stuff is undying anyway. So it's like, yeah, what are you going to do? What are you going to go after? Do your yeah. worst. Like the time walk is actually really good in, in a deck with all undying creatures. Yep. And then it feels like every time I turn Twitch on, there's people putting it in different shells that I'd never even seen before or thought of. Um, so yeah, I would agree. I, I think we're, we're quite a few weeks and maybe even months away from finding where the best home for it is, but I don't think it's going anywhere. No, I don't either. Um, the, the mana acceleration aspect is the, the thing that I'm most interested in just because it, like you, you get less value out of the, the time walk aspect of things, but you get so much more value out of the card draw aspect of things. And then if you are accelerating your mana, then you get to make better use of the, the cards that you actually draw off of it also. So yeah, and the the downside of taking the damage does has not appeared to be nearly as much of a downside as I initially thought, right? So no, nah, um, not not really, because like you would imagine that the third time, fourth time you untap with this thing, how have you not converted those cards into a win? You know, you're playing modern, or you your deck doesn't have a built in way to get rid of this thing if you need to, you know. Yeah, and there's a surprisingly small number of decks that are really pressuring your life total in modern like that right now. So yeah. Yeah, decks are generally winning, uh, like not by inches. You know, they're they're just taking you from like fifteen to zero pretty easily. Large chunks of damage are killing you in one turn. Yep. So yeah, card is card is good. It is it is very good. It is going to show up in a lot of places. Uh, I I do wish that I had an outlet to share uh some of these deck lists and like i don't know maybe i'll just do like patreon posts or whatever like yeah. we, we hey had, there's nothing we stopping website. you huh there's nothing stopping you no not really it's just like it was so much easier when i had a deadline you know it was like oh i have to like sit down and like actually spend you know 20 hours writing this article or whatever and without a deadline it's just like i just build as the ideas come and then maybe finish the actual deck maybe don't uh, and then whether or not whether or not I post it, I've just been kind of leaning towards not because it's just like a random thing. So, hey, I'm I'm more than happy to take the legacy seat and put some pressure on you to figure it out. <laughs> well, okay, then you you slash we have to figure out legacy anyway. So <laughs> yeah, that is a project in and of itself. I I think for the most part, what what I'm leaning towards for legacy will probably be a thing that will be interchangeable for both of us. Like if I end up playing Death Shadow. For example, like that is mostly a deck that you could just pick up and play. I know that, uh, you know, you've, you've said to me that you haven't played Shadow before, um, but it's not that much different than Delver. It yeah. really isn't, you know. I, I've historically made my money in Legacy by beating up on Delver decks. So Same. Um, seeing Delver not be really strong is a little bit disappointing for me. No, it's great because people play it anyway. Yeah, maybe. And I still lose to it, so... Oh. Um, yeah. Well, you're you're doing it wrong then. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Well, that's the that's the fear I have with some of these other Death Shadow decks and the likes. But um, yeah, how many people actually choose to pick up Delver and play in that? The fact that it's a team event, how much does that affect it? I don't know. These are really interesting questions. Yeah, it's it's weird because I think back in the day it was a lot easier to guess because I had more of an idea of what sort of folks were going to show up to a random SCG open on the East Coast. You know, it was like a lot of people who were very plugged in and paid a lot of attention to the zeitgeist and whatnot. And also just like a lot of people who uh, made it like part of their personality to, to be one with the Delver or whatever, you know? Yeah. 
And so, if you're if you were on a team that had a Delver aficionado, they were pretty much locked for that seat. Whereas these days, I, I don't know if that's true anymore. Yeah, no, that's true. You got to find like a legacy person first rather than just like, hey, I'm a Delver player looking for two other randos, you know? Yeah. If we had somebody who was just going to play Delver no matter what, which there's quite a few of those people out there, we, we might just put them in a different seat for this. Whereas that was not the case before. Oh, yeah, that's true, too. So. Hmm. Yeah, maybe not a lot. Uh, but it, it's in Cincinnati, which again is like, I don't know, they have like uh, Apex in Ohio, which has a like a very wide group of players of which I'm not familiar with, you know, and so it's like, I don't know, they play Pioneer and Modern, uh, basically just like the RC formats and stuff. It's like the, those people play Legacy. If they do, what do they play? I have no idea. Uh, it's just completely up in the air for me because like people aren't traveling for these things. Uh, at least as much as they used to, you know? Yeah. We'll see. Weird times. I think it is just uh, play a thing that is proactive and decent against most things, which is why I was interested in the 8-cast deck. But if everyone's going to be meltdowning me still a month <laughs> from now, uh, it's not a thing I really want to sign up for. I, I'd love to say I think 8-cast is well-positioned, but I don't think I'm there. And I, I don't know if Brian would be able to forgive you if you were to play 8-cast again he's he's gone and he's not listening to the podcast anymore so uh maybe you can sneak it in yeah he'll never know it's fine and yeah i'm not posting on twitter anymore either so <laughs> there you go <laughs> who 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 would ever possibly find out or tell him you know oh he's still in the discord hmm. right. it's kind of win-win if we do well then he'll find out through that channel and if we don't then hopefully it will you know and, it, and it's a team event right so it's like we could win the tournament where I go own 15 or whatever. I don't know that that's super likely, but it's certainly possible. <laughs> I don't know. I got, I got the shields bros on my squad. How am I, I going to lose? I guess so. Well, anything else you want to share for your first episode? No, I'm excited. Um, I have no idea what I've got myself into quite yet. So I appreciate any patience as I figure this out. Um, but yeah, other than that, just super excited for what's going to come. Well, this was good. Uh, I don't remember Brian's first episode. Hell, I don't remember my first episode. Um, but I think this was good, man. I think you did great. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm excited. All right. That's game. Good luck.